You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad you're joining us for another episode. If this is your first time listening, we encourage you to come in, stay a while, listen to what we have to say. And if you enjoy uh, the content that we have here, we'd ask you to become a regular subscriber and downloader of our content. You can do that by clicking that subscribe button on any of the podcast applications, and then you'll get our episodes delivered to your mobile device every week when we release new content. We try to do that each week on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'd encourage you, um, if you haven't done so already, please go to your email and shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com. We'd love to hear uh, who's listening, where you're listening from, maybe some things that you like about the podcast. Maybe there's uh, questions or prayer requests that you'd like for us to pray with you about. Uh, we would love uh, to do uh, that. And so I always, uh, always ask you to also tell a friend. Please be uh, telling those around you, friends at work, family members about the Bonfire Podcast. Help us grow the network here and the family of uh, folks who are listening and, and dive it into God's Word. We want to see us uh, grow and to, to reach more people as we get into the end of this year and going into next year. Um, just do have a quick scheduling update for you guys. Uh, next week, uh, we will be going into Thanksgiving. And uh, so this episode that would release next Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we will not have an episode. Uh, We're going to take a week off there, and so we won't have new content. I would encourage you to uh, take time, of course, spend with friends and family during the the Thanksgiving season, and then maybe on that off week, uh, you can go back and check out some older content, things that you, you haven't had a chance to listen to from us, and then we'll be back the following week there. Well, Dad, uh, thanks for joining me again today. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. We're going to be continuing our study series by faith. And for those of you who may be just joining us, maybe this is the first episode that you're hearing. Uh, For the last several weeks, we have been studying through Faith's Hall of Fame found in Hebrews chapter 11. Through the study, we have looked at many great examples of faith, of people who had great faith in the Bible. And and, uh, so if you missed any of those episodes, we'd encourage you to go back and check them out. And today we're going to be looking at an unlikely duo, and that is Joshua and Rahab. Now, much can be said about Joshua. Joshua is best known as Moses' second-in-command, who takes over and leads the Israelites into the Promised Land after Moses' death. Joshua is considered to be one of the Bible's greatest military leaders for leading the seven-year conquest of the Promised Land and is often upheld as a model for leadership and a source of practical application on how to be an effective leader. Rahab's bio is much different than that of Joshua's, though. When we are first introduced to Rahab in Scripture, she is a prostitute in the pagan Canaanite city of Jericho. If we just stop right there, it seems easy for us to believe that Rahab should automatically be disqualified from membership in the into Faith's Hall of Fame. However, Rahab's story continues. It doesn't stop there. Through her life, we see a beautiful tapestry of faith and God's grace at work. Rahab's story, simply put, is a story of a life that was changed by God. 
And as I said, this is an unlikely duo, but through the providential workings of God, the lives of Joshua and Rahab crossed at an intersection of faith. Let's look at our scripture text today, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. If you got your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with us. We're going to be in the New Testament and the Old Testament today. Uh, but starting at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And so we're going to be looking again at the life of Rahab and Joshua and this intersection of faith that brought these two unlikely characters together. And there's three things I think we can see about faith today as we're we're looking at this, Dad. I I think we're going to look at uh, faith that obeys, faith that trusts, and faith that saves. So let's uh, let's dive right in and let's talk about faith that obeys. In the in the book of Joshua, the Old Testament book of Joshua, just after the Israelites crossed over Jordan, they came to the city of Jericho. And you know, Dad, I was reading about Jericho, and Jericho was a formidable foe. Um, it was uh, Canaan's most fortified city with massive walls that encircled the entire city. When I was reading up on, on Jericho, Dad, I saw where the archaeologist studies have found that the walls of Jericho were so large that two chariots could pass by while driving on top of the wall. That's right. That would make this wall roughly the size of a modern-day two-lane road. So again, after crossing the Jordan, they're right here at Jericho, and while outside the city, the Lord came to Joshua and gave him the battle plan for defeating um, Jericho. And so let's look at that. If you've got your Bible, turn over to the Old Testament, Joshua, and it's going to be chapter 6. And I want us to look specifically here um, at the words that the Lord gave uh, to to Joshua, starting at verse 2. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city all you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass that when uh, they make a long blast, with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. And so uh, God is giving him instruction of this is the battle plan. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to carry it out. And what do we see happening in the next verses, Dad, is we see that Joshua goes forth and he does exactly what the Lord has instructed him to do. He goes and he finds the priest and he says, hey, priest, I need you to get together. I need you to get some horns. I need you to get the Ark of the Covenant. We're getting ready to march. And then Joshua goes over and he gets the people and he he found all the people and he pulls them together and gives them instruction. This is what we're going to do. We're going to march around the city and we're going to do it in just this fashion. And uh, so here took off the priest and the Israelite people and they began to march just as the Lord said. And in faith that obeys, Joshua followed God's instruction without any variation. You know, uh, what you just described where uh, God the commander of the Lord here as he appeared to Joseph. We know that was the Lord that actually appeared to him and gave him these instructions. Sometimes God asks us to do things, Matt, that 
that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Mm. But we're supposed to obey whatever he asked us to do. We're supposed to obey. And Joshua had learned previously about being obedient to God. You remember earlier in his life, uh, he, along with Moses and the people, had come up to the border of Canaan, Kadesh, Barnea, and Moses uh, sent in 12 spies to spy out the land, you know, to come back and, and let them know about what the land was, the fortifications. And only two of the 12 said, hey, we can take this land. The rest of the 10 said, hey, it's a great place, but uh, we're, like, we're like little ants compared to these giants over there. Joshua was someone that believed in God. He believed that when God said we can take the land, we can take the land no matter what. Here he is, an old man. Pretty old man. Mm -hmm. And he still has his faith in God, and he's willing to do what God asked him to do, even though it did not make sense to him. It doesn't make sense militarily. Think about it. Instead of archers and ladders and battering rams, you know, that you would think you would need to uh, to take a, a city with impregnable walls like that. God said, let the army follow the priests blowing trumpets and ram horns, mm -hmm. you know. This would certainly make the Israelites look foolish to the inhabitants of Jericho. You know, well, sometimes God requires us to do things that seem foolish to the world. And when he does, we need courage. And the prime ingredient of faith that pleases God is courage. Now, oftentimes we look foolish to the world when we take a biblical stand. We look foolish when we tithe and go to church. It takes courage to look foolish uh, and to our peers and our colleagues. Over in 1 Corinthians 4.10, the Apostle Paul wrote, We are fools for Christ's sake. The Israelites looked like fools for six days as they marched around Jericho following priests and blowing ram's horns in front of the ark. The inhabitants of Jericho undoubtedly stood on the wall mocking them. Look at those idiots, they probably said. Uh, the Israelites looked foolish, and undoubtedly some of the Hebrews uh, they probably agreed that this doesn't make a lot of sense either. God told uh, the Israelites through Joshua over in Joshua chapter 6, verse 10, he said, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, and then you shall shout. God told uh, Joshua, tell these Israelites, Listen, when you're marching around, you're to do it in silence. Mm -hmm. silence. God did not want even the Israelites, the Hebrews, to be talking to each other. God knows it takes only a few negative people or complaints to discourage us. Can't you imagine some of the Hebrews, might, if they were allowed to talk, one might have said to his neighbor, his fellow soldier in front of him, this is stupid. Uh, we're not, What are we going to do walking around? And the people up there are laughing at us. And, and this is stupid. Well, God, God knew the nature of man. So he even said to the Israelites, you be quiet. If you want to have a faith that pleases God, folks, you got to stay away from negative people who always see problems rather than possibilities. Criticism is extremely contagious. And so, you know, we shouldn't spread negativism. But getting back to Joshua, on the seventh day, the people were commanded to do something else. What did he tell them, Matt? That's right. So on the seventh day, he said, I want you to go around seven times around this city. And then the trumpets were going to blast and there was going to be a great shout. And 
the Israelites, they did exactly that. They did on the seventh day, making their seventh lap. The priests blew the trumpets, the people shouted. And as our text from Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And, uh, you know, Dad, I was just thinking as you were talking uh, just earlier there uh, about the obedience here. Uh, and you did a great job just characterizing about this was kind of an odd request, right? A, a, a weird way for God to say, this is how I want you to do it. Uh, but they followed through. They they had already identified, they had seen God work enough, Joshua had, and so had the people, that they said, okay, God's way is better than our way. And so we're going to do what he says, and, and we're going to have that faith and trust. And as I was thinking about that, uh, there was a couple things that came to my mind. You said seeming foolish, or seeing foolish uh, before others. I thought about two others that came to my mind, is, is they did this despite of it being difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think about this, uh, they had just crossed over the Jordan, and they're right here at Jericho, Jericho being the most fortified city, and uh, that was the city that they took on first in Cana. Now, my imagination as I'm sitting there, I'd be like, well, couldn't we start with something smaller than Jericho? Like, Mm. we got to go to the toughest one first. Why can't we go to a smaller one, let us get a win under our belt, and then we try the bigger guy? Right. Um, But God gave him the difficult assignment, and he said, go do this first. That's college football. (laughs) You know, you always start out with the team that uh, you're going to whip really bad and then move on up. Except for Clemson this year, they started out with Georgia. That's exactly right. And then the other thing I thought about, and you you referenced, is it was counter to what the world would make say would make sense, right? I mean, Mm. any other military mind that would be sitting there watching this would go, this is utter just craziness. They're going to walk around the city. They're not going to have – cover and shelter. I mean, the the army of Jericho could stand on top of the walls and just pick people off. Why would you do this? It seems so foolish um, to everyone else. But uh, when I think about that, some the way it looks, uh, way God's way looks in, in people's eyes sometimes is this way. God gives us difficult assignments. Uh, sometimes God asks us to go into difficult places and do difficult things. Um, sometimes the, what God tells us to do, actually all the times, is counter to what the world says do. Mm-hmm. Right, and you talked about some of those things, and then many times what God wants us to do seems foolish to everybody else, but we we have to have that faith that causes us to obey, and when we obey, we can see that the the victory is actually uh, comes through that obedience. So they saw the walls fall, and uh, the Bible says that the Israelites utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man, woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. So, I mean, they went in and they cleaned house there in Jericho. They lit Mm -hmm. the entire city on fire. The only thing that was allowed to be kept from the city were the gold, silver, and and the bronze. And that was not to be kept by the people of Israel. It went into the treasury of the Lord. It was, it was, consecrated unto the Lord as as property um, of of God's. But there was everything was destroyed except one house and one family. And that was the house and the family of Rahab. And that brings us uh, to our next point, faith that trust. We learn that in uh, Joshua chapter 2, prior to the Israelites crossing over Jordan, Joshua sent two spies to gain intel about the, the city. And when these spies arrived, they went straight to the house of Rahab. And our Bible tells us Rahab had a, I guess, a, a, a unpleasant profession. It says that she was a harlot. And Rahab ran an inn there in Jericho, and it was frequented by travelers. And so it is believed that the spies went uh, to Rahab's house, this inn, because they wanted to blend in with the other outsiders. It wouldn't seem so out of place 
for them to be um, at that location. However, it didn't take long for them to be recognized, and the king was informed of their presence in his city. So he he sent some messengers over to Rahab's house and said, I want you to turn over those spies to me. But Rahab had different plans. She had hid the spies up on top of her roof. She had covered them with flax and hidden them. And so then she put together a plan to deceive the king's men and, and, to, and to believe in that the spies had already left the city. She told him, she said, hey, just before the gates closed at evening, the two men ran out and they're out there in the countryside. You need to go chase them down and find them. Mm-hmm. When in reality, they were up on top of Rahab's roof. And so when I think about this, Dad, uh, it, I put it under the heading of faith that trusts because through these happenings, I see Rahab the harlot displayed faith that trusts in two ways. Um, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that she received the spies with peace. And so think about this. Here is, is Rahab. Rahab is, is, a, is in a pagan city. She's a, got a questionable uh, profession, uh, being a harlot there. Uh, she obviously knew about the Israelites, and, and the whole city knew that the Israelites had what they had done in areas around them, and that they were coming in close. And she had an opportunity. She could have sold them out. Mm-hmm. She could have set a trap for them, <clears throat> but she welcomed them in peace. The second thing that she did that is faith that trust is that she put her life in jeopardy to protect them. And, and think about this. So the king sends his messengers and wants to know, hey, where are these? Rahab put herself out on the line for these two spies. Mm-hmm. And and she, by protecting them and hiding them, because if the king found out about this, well, I'm certain that king would have would have put an end to Rahab for lying uh, to him the way that, that she did. And I find it interesting, Dad, that right here in, in, in Joshua chapter 2, we have an unlikely person. We have a, a harlot, uh, a woman who's uh, practicing prostitution, mm-hmm. um, who is, is put in a position of, of making a, a faith uh, statement and a, an exercising of faith. And she had a choice between two kings. She had a choice between the king of Jericho or the king um, of the Israelites, which is God, God Almighty. And she decided to go with God Almighty, and she said, you know what, I want to be on his side, and I'm going to trust in him versus trusting in the king of my country. And so I think it's just an excellent uh, display of faith on her part to to trust the spies and to, and to trust uh, in, in God's protection for her to put her life in jeopardy for them. That's right. You know, uh, Rahab faced a moral conflict. Now, before this time, morals wasn't much of an issue for her because she's living an immoral life. But, you know, the fact that the people of Jericho had heard what God did to the Egyptian army, how God opened up the the Red Sea and the people walked across and came out on the other side. And then when the Egyptians come down in the seabed, God allowed the sea to collapse and drown all of them. I mean, this was, this was the major power in the world, the Egyptians. These people had to be trembling, thinking the, the God these people serves opens up water and allows them to walk on dry ground and defeats Pharaoh and his armies and drowns him. They had to be shaken in their boots. And so, because they knew that the Hebrews were were approaching their city, and uh, Rahab, she had faith that the God of Israel must be the true God. And so, you know, someone saw these spies in Jericho 
these Hebrew spies go into Rahab's place. Mm-hmm. And so they reported it to the king. And then investigators come, you know, to get Rahab to bring out those spies. And she lied about the fact that the spies were even there, you know. Or, right. or Well, she said they were there, but they slipped out at night. And, you know, they were hidden up there on the rooftop. That's right. She lied. She had a moral conflict. Uh, it was impossible to protect the spies and tell the truth to the king's soldiers. So Rahab lied. Rahab didn't lie to protect herself. If she gave up the spies to the authorities, she would save her own life. Uh, you would, if you think about it, she was really taking a risk to lie. For if she was caught in her lie and found to be collaborating with the enemy, she would be killed and probably her whole household. She lied because she firmly believed in God and that he would destroy Jericho. Now, this is an example of James 2.17, which says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith and good works are like the wings of a bird. The two working together is what causes the bird to fly. Faith that pleases God always acts to support its claims. And so I wanted to point that out there. You know, yes, she lied about these soldiers being hidden, but it wasn't to protect her life. It was because she knew God was going to destroy the city. and She wanted to be on the right side. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And you know that these two spies. I mean, we, we don't have much of the interaction that happens when they first get there to the the end, but I, I have to think in their perspective, they have to think what's going on. What? Why is this woman trying to help us? You know, uh-huh. uh, how is this going? Because we don't really understand her opinion or her position on God until just a little bit later in Scripture, which we're going to talk about here in a moment. And so, uh, these spies were were putting some trust in her to, to, that she was going to uh, take care of them as well. Just an amazing story here. And so Rahab had faith that trust, but Rahab also had a faith that saves. And so I want us to look at uh, that last point that we have there. It says, after protecting the spies uh, from the king's men, Rahab makes an amazing statement of faith. Uh, let's read chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 together. So Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Listen to what Rahab says. So this is after the king's men have gone away. They're out running all out the hillside looking for the men. In reality, they're up on the roof. She goes up to the roof and she says to the men, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror that of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Shion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Listen to this, folks. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, that's an amazing statement of faith coming Mm. from a prostitute there. And, Dad, I have to think, when we talk about Rahab, um, I just wonder, you know, was was Rahab obviously— 
something was working in her. You know, I don't think she woke up one morning and said, hey, I want to be a prostitute mm-hmm. when I grow up, right? There had obviously been situations in life that had brought her down this road, and I feel like she probably was searching for, for something. She was searching for a way out. She had to feel inside of her that this isn't right. The way I'm living isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And then she she hears of the God of Israel that's doing mm-hmm. these miracles and that is bringing these people out. And I think she saw that as an opportunity, Dad, to say, you know what, I'm in a mess here. Mm-hmm. I've got a bad situation. I'm, I'm living in a pagan world. I'm, I'm practicing a pagan rituals here as a, as a prostitute. I need a way out. And I think she identified that God was going to be her way out. Mm-hmm. And that's why she put herself out on the limb to, to protect those spies. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it was a pretty poor decision that she could have made there. I mean, she could have been killed for making that decision. Mm-hmm. And there was no guarantee that even if she protected them, that they were going to return favor to her. You know, they, she didn't know that at the start. Right. And so it's just an amazing statement of faith for her to make that says, yeah, I'm going to choose God. I'm going to choose your God as the one true God uh, to believe in. After she makes this statement, she then uh, asks the Israelites for mercy. And she says, hey, I, I asked that, that you would return kindness to me for the kindness that I showed to you. And that when you, your armies come, that you would protect me and that you would protect my, my mom and my dad, my brothers and my sisters, our household. She would keep us safe. And so the Israelites, they said... We're going to make a covenant with you. We're going to we're going to give you this red cord, and we want you to hang that red cord in your window. Mm-hmm. And when our armies come and we invade the city and we attack the city, that red cord hanging in the window is going to be the symbol for us to pass over your house, and no one will be harmed. Mm-hmm. But if you don't hang the cord in the window and you don't have your household in the house at the time that we come, we're not going to be guilty um, if anything happens, you know, when I think about that, that cord being a scarlet cord, scarlet's the color of blood. I think about uh, what the Israelites had freshly on their mind. No doubt these two spies, their parents told them about what took place in Egypt and that 10th and final plague when, you know, God is breaking the grip of Pharaoh you know, on the Hebrew slaves, that tenth plague was that God sent the death angel into Egypt, and God was going to take the lives of the oldest and every home in Egypt. But the Hebrews would be spared of that calamity if they sacrificed a lamb and took the blood of that lamb and painted their doorpost that scarlet red. And so when the death angel came over and saw that scarlet red, that blood on the doorpost, what happened? They passed. He passed over the Hebrew homes and took the lives of the Egyptians. And so, you know, it's interesting that uh, these two Jewish men, uh, these spies, when gave them a cord, yeah, this is a, a scarlet cord. This is going to remind us of the fact that that uh, we're going to pass over your house like the death angel passed over uh, the homes of our ancestors in Egypt and took the lives of the Egyptians. This scarlet will remind us to pass over your home. You know, Matt, when I think about about these spies being sent in, these two men that gave her that scarlet cord. You know, it was probably standard military procedure to send out spies 
before an invasion. It it helps to be informed. Espionage is still practiced today. But apart from it being a standard procedure, I believe there was another purpose for sending out these spies that perhaps only God knew, and that was to give Rahab and her family an opportunity to absolutely be saved. That's why God God sent them. You know, Rahab's a good example that no one is outside the rim of God's love and grace, not even a prostitute, no one. She's an example of Isaiah 118, which says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isn't that something? That is that's a great verse. You know, Dad, I, I agree with you. I, I think that... Uh, the fact that these spies went to uh, Jericho um, probably from a military standpoint wasn't really necessary uh, because God was already had the plan. I mean, it, he, he knew what he was going to do. Um, but I believe it was part of God's plan for these spies to go there and to, to give Rahab, who I believe was searching for a way out, an opportunity at salvation. And think about this. The Bible tells us that Rahab's uh, house, her end, was actually on the wall uh-huh. of Jericho um, because what happens next is she actually lets the the spies down from her window that's on the wall and they are able to get to safety and, and get to, to, to freedom back to their camp. And so we just read the story about how the walls fell. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently all the walls fell except the walls right there at, at Rahab's house, right? Well, you because, know, I, yeah, I thought about that, Matt. You know, we saw, though— uh, the collapse of the World Trade Center, there were people that were pulled out of that thing alive. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. maybe hers collapsed, too, just pulled out, pulled her out maybe, alive. Maybe, maybe Search so. right here where that red cord's at. There's a family right there. That's right. God God sheltered them when the, the, the walls that, failed. That's that's a good point as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good point as well. Um, and so, yes, I believe this was a providential working of God um, that was searching out uh, Rahab because she was searching for, for the true God as well. And ultimately, that scarlet cord was put there. And again, that symbol, uh, there's so much foreshadowing and so much symbolism that's there in that red cord. You talked about the Passover and how that draw back to them. But think about that red cord of what that means going forward into the future um, about the blood of Christ and how that is able to cover and save from from sin. And so, you know, Rahab was looking for mercy from the Israelites, but in the process of displaying her her faith and, and positioning that cord there, she received more than she asked for. She received not only mercy from the Israelites, but she received mercy and grace from God. And uh, she is accounted because of her faith for righteousness. That's why we find Rahab here in Hebrews chapter 11 as a faithful person. And it's amazing to me, Dad, uh, this story. I would probably say that Rahab is probably my favorite character Mm -hmm. in Faith's Hall of Fame. And uh, I identify most with Rahab. Now you say, well, Matt, that doesn't make sense. Why do you identify with her? Um, But I think the message of, of her is one that needs to be told and and everyone needs to understand because uh, of what it stands for and what it foreshadows. Uh, Dad, as I was looking and and reading, uh, and you probably know this better than I do, in Bible study, a lot of times there's the rule or the law of first mention uh, Mm. that can be applied. And basically that rule says is if you go to the Bible and you look for 
and you want to find a definition or you want to have an understanding of a meaning of a, of a particular doc, doctrine mm-hmm. or issue, you go to the first place that you find it in the Bible, and there you will find the most simple presentation of what it means. And for Rahab, she has the distinguishment of being the first person as a Gentile that was entered into the family of God, into the Israelites. Mm-hmm. And that's that that picture of salvation, which is how you and I are, are, are made right and, and, and joined the family of God, is through the same way Rahab. God chose to use a prostitute to be the example by which you and I are saved. It's right. through faith, by grace, that we are saved and we are added to the family of God. I think that's amazing mm-hmm. that God chose to use a, right. a prostitute in that manner. He could have picked anybody, but he picked a prostitute. And I think by most people's standards, you know, that profession, uh, if you want to call it a profession or that activity is is, is uh, immoral, a terrible activity, uh, sexual immorality. And uh, a lot of times people classify that as the worst of the worst. Uh, but God used the worst of the worst to be the example of what salvation looks like for a Gentile. Uh, through the life of Rahab. I find that just amazing that that's that's the way that was done. That's right. It doesn't matter what your sin is. uh, God's blood is sufficient to wash that sin away. That's exactly right. And if you think that that Rahab's story is just in the Bible just by chance, I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 1. And uh, Matthew chapter 1, if you're looking at Matthew chapter 1, in my Bible, the heading there above where the chapter starts says the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I want you to go down to verse 5. Verse 5 says that Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. Folks, what we're seeing here is Rahab the harlot, who was a pagan Canaanite woman uh, practicing pagan uh, rituals uh, and terrible uh, sexual immorality, uh, received grace uh, through faith and ultimately was added to the family of God, but not only added to the family of God, she was directly put in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. That's right. And, and that, that to me, is probably one of the most beautiful stories you'll find um, in in the Old Testament is this picture of grace that was given to Rahab and the fact that uh, she was selected. Uh, every one of these people that you find in, in chapter 1 in this genealogy, I'm convinced they're not here just by happenstance or by accident. Each one of them were positioned there in the family tree uh, leading up to the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and God chose to put a prostitute right in the middle of that. And that that is just amazing to me. I just love that story. You know, uh, this means that that Rahab was the great, great grandmother of David. And like you said, more than that, uh, in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, you know, we think about the fact about her being a prostitute, being in the the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, the earthly lineage. Yep. But you know what? David himself, he had a he he did something wrong too. Sure. And uh he uh he committed adultery with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. Guess mm-hmm. what? She's in the lineage of Jesus too. That's right. Because the Bible says David, the king of Solomon, by her who had been the wife of Uriah in verse 6. That was right after we talked about Rahab. You see, God's grace and love goes out to anybody that will 
be open to receive it. And there are folks out here today, perhaps you just happen to run across this podcast and you feel such shame in your life for things that you've done. Hey, all of us should feel shame for we've all disobeyed God and disappointed him. But it doesn't matter what you've done. God's grace is sufficient. He loves you. He'll forgive you and wash your sins away. That's right. There is no sin too deep, no sin too dark uh, that the blood of Jesus can't cleanse and that's what we see here in the fact that Rahab is 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 used and and as you said, even David and Bathsheba all all here in the line uh, leading up to to Jesus Christ. And so, I would encourage you today um, that if you are in that position of where you you've done things wrong in your life and you feel like there's no way that that I could ever be forgiven or I could ever uh, be made whole again. Uh, take Rahab for an example. I'm sure she felt the same way. I'm sure that as she was there and, and, and practicing in her her practice that she was doing, she probably felt terrible about it. She probably thought, I'm no good. I'm, I'm terrible for what I do and what I've done. Mm-hmm. But you see, once God comes into your life and he begins to work and he begins to move and you're forgiven of sin, your your slate is wiped clean. And, uh, and so Rahab, she got a new slate. She was added to the family of God. She ended up marrying into uh, the Israelites and ultimately was there put into the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I just encourage you today, if you, if you feel like you're too far gone, uh, let Rahab be that example of no one is too far uh, from the love of Christ uh, that he can't get to and he can't help. That's exactly right. Well, Dad, uh, it's been a great uh, lesson today. I've really enjoyed it. I hope our listeners uh, out there have enjoyed our study through uh, Joshua and through Rahab today. I, I hope that you will take this uh, word to heart and that you would uh, do some introspection into your life. And if you are in need of a Savior, if you're in need of, of salvation, someone to come and pay your sins and and, and, uh, and, and take care of that, and all of us are. Uh, some of us have taken care of it. Some of us haven't. I would encourage you to let today be the day that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and hang that cord in your window, uh, so to speak, of your spiritual window and say, I'm, I'm covered. I'm covered by the blood of Christ. And uh, uh, today would be a great day uh, to do that, to get that right. Well, Dad, would you pray with us? Sure. Father in heaven, we want to let you know we love you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this great story in the Bible of this woman that was real to life, Rahab, and how she she put her trust in you, O oh God, as her God, and how you saved her. And Lord, we can't help but think that you had a, a greater purpose than just espionage when you uh, perhaps touched Joshua and he knew to send those spies. You were working through Joshua and sending those spies because you, you had it not only to save Rahab, but to save a whole family. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, even in your judgment, uh, you also exhibit mercy, and you did for Rahab. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.